The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a Conversation of Hope for Tuesday, May 8th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Annette Banyel. Annette Banyel is a clinical psychologist and dancer and a leader in the field of the relationship between movement and the brain. She developed a cutting-edge approach supported by recent brain plasticity research, which is called the Annette Banyel Method. Annette and the practitioners she trained are known for their remarkable outcomes with children with special needs. Annette Banyel is the author of the new book, Kids Beyond Limits. Welcome, Annette. Uh, hi, Terry. Very happy to be with you on this show. Annette, when you first look upon a child with a challenge such as cerebral palsy or autism, what do you see and think? Well, what I see is the child, and what I, and what I do first of all is like I observe the child and I watch for their uh, behavior in the sense of how they move, how they communicate, uh, the quality of their voice if they make sounds. And the, for me, from the word go, I look both at what the kid can do or do well and their limitations as a, being a window to how their brain works and where I could help contribute most to the child. So, in the limitation, I always see opportunities. So if somebody, for instance, an adult can't lift their arm up above their, you know, the height of their nose in front of them, it's a limitation, but it's immediately also an opportunity because most people can figure out how to lift their arm higher up. And the same thing is for the children. Most of the limitations they have can be at least reduced, if not completely overcome. So first, you need to have a different mindset. When you look at the child, you need to not uh, perseverate upon their limitations, but realistically notice what the challenge might be and then uh, regard that as an opportunity. How do you think that this differs from what most practitioners see and think, such as those in the field of psychology or medicine? Well, if I to continue what you said, which is perfectly accurate and goes with what I think, is then what I do is I don't. Well, the first thing that I don't do is I don't try to fix the perceived problem. So if there is a limitation, either of something that the child cannot do, like the child doesn't does not look in you in your eyes, or or they are not talking, or they have trouble eating, or whatnot, um, I. 
that's the thing I will not be dancing with directly because my premise is if the child could do it, he or she would be already doing it. Good point. Uh, sorry? Good point. Yeah, and so to try to, and that's true, by the way, for adults. I've worked with uh, world-class musicians with certain issues and so on. Athletes, when a person is trying to do something or other people try to make them do something and they're not doing it, it's because they have no clue how to. That doesn't mean that they can't get there. That doesn't mean that their nervous system and their tissue and so on couldn't be organized to figure it out, but there is a process that needs to take place before they can do it. So I think the very first differential in my approach and my teacher's approach is that I actually ask them to not try to fix the child. And sometimes trying to fix the child can get some outcome, especially if the kid is already pretty close to doing it. But very often while we try to drill the child to do something they're unable to do, we build in the limitation as we give them a little bit of progress because the brain creates the patterns of its own experience. So let's say if I take a child with cerebral palsy and they have a very hard time standing up, some of those kids, if you put in front of them a walker, they can use a lot of effort in their arms and shoulders and abdomen muscles to somehow, you know, yank themselves up and, you know, lean somehow on the walker and then drag the feet or their legs. And, you know, I tell parents, do that if you never, if you give up on the possibility that your child will ever really walk freely. But if you want to go for more for your child, don't take that walker away right now because that's what walking and standing will mean for that child for the rest of their life. And if we take ourselves, any kind of habit that we have, every adult has tried to get rid of a habit at least once, and we know how hard that is to do. So, so that's very important to remember. It's the same thing for children. And children in the autism spectrum, part of the manifestation of this condition is a tendency for compulsion and for patterns that tend to get grooved in very powerfully and sometimes so powerfully to, to the exclusion of other patterns being formed. All right. So if I could take a take-home message from what you were just saying, if they could do it, they would do it. There are prerequisites that we as adults may not realize, and stressing the child may create more limitations. The child needs to realize that they have ability instead of just doing things in a rote manner. Absolutely, and the absolutely, and the child realizes that they have ability when they actually progress. They don't talk about it that way, but they, they, it's the feeling of potency and, and, and change and, and mastery, which is exhilarating for the kids. And when they try to do something over and over again and they, they can't do it or they don't even understand what's asked of them, they do know that they're failing. They do know that. I've had many kids when I start working with them, you know, and it's something that they have failed at for a while, you know, fragile X or this or that, and they try to teach them to read or write or math, and they can't do it. And they tell me, they say, I'm not, I'm stupid. And I say, no, you're not. You know, sometimes I go as far as I say, the, the people around you have not been too smart doing this with you. 
they love that. So, <laughs> so, so you're creating this exhilarating sense of potency, change, and mastery. And something that I really appreciated about Annette Danielle's book, Kids Beyond Limits, was the sense of gentleness and respect on the part of Annette Danielle that came through this book. In the pages of this book, as you read it, and Annette is sharing theory and uh, case studies and practical tips, you you perceive the respect that Anat has for the children and the gentleness with which she speaks. So, Anat, thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for recognizing it. Thank you. So you've worked with children and parents for three decades. Have you seen any changes in the maladies or prevalence of maladies among children? Uh, I have. You know, but I'm one practitioner, so I'm not like a, a, a reliable statistical source. But in, in my experience, a, definitely two, two, two kinds of increase. A, one is a, the autism spectrum and kind of a tangential conditions that might be seen on a continuum, uh, you know, with the ADD, ADHD, kind of generalized confusion or sort of a little bit off track with the learning process but not strong enough to be diagnosed. I've seen a whole lot more of that. And and I know that it's also seen more in the general population. And I my feeling it's beyond just the awareness of the professionals that are now diagnosing those conditions. I really think it seems to be more prevalent. And the other one is uh, conditions that have to do sometimes, I mean, with saving uh, lives of, of premature babies can increase the incidence of, you know, stroke, stroke for the infants or even in utero stroke and then, um, you know, heart disease saving kids and then sometimes that leads to stroke and then eventually that gets diagnosed as cerebral palsy because under cerebral palsy, everything that has to do with specificity and movement limitation tends to end up being there. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that parents have been socialized to regard their children who have challenges? Can you ask me this again? I'm not sure I understood. How do you think parents regard, usually regard their children who have challenges? Well, I think the by my experience and observation, first of all, there's a profound devastation, you know, discovering that the child has something, you know, that is is limiting their ability to grow and a question into the future of how well they'll do in the future. And, and then parents, you know, at least the ones I work with, you somehow absorb that and just look to help the child and just a profound dedication. I think that to the extent that there might have been a stigma or embarrassment about having a child with special needs, that I think, at least with the parents I work with, has disappeared. I mean, those parents are like lions and lionesses. I mean, they're out there, you know, in the front line fighting for those kids and for their futures. Annette Banyel's book, 
is going to inspire you. As part of your nine essentials, Annette, you include things like joy and enthusiasm, and mm-hmm. and um, that is very inspirational and very helpful to the child. So I want to thank you about that. As uh, thank you for that as well. And Annette's book does cover nine essentials, uh, and we're going to get into talking about those a little bit later in the program. So you were influenced greatly by Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, first of all, for those who haven't heard about Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais, you know, he was a, an Israeli scientist, physicist, a, a nuclear physicist, and a judo master and a mathematician, you know, a genius. And he had his own injury and looked to, to help himself and, and understood, you know, his big, amazing, ingenious realization many, many years ago was that it's the brain that organizes us. It organizes movement, thinking, and, and uh, feelings, emotions. So if we want to either rehabilitate from injury or learn some or do something we can't do, we somehow had to get have to get to this brain to 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 help it do its job of figuring it out, and and so that's the background. I knew Feldenkrais or Moshe. I'll call him Moshe since I was three years old because he taught his ex- experiment experimental lessons way back in my parents' living room, and when he just started and nobody not not many people knew about him, and then when I was in grad school. To become a clinical psychologist, um, I did his work as a child, by the way, but then I forgot all about it. And then when I was in grad school, uh, I, I was looking for a way to work with people that wasn't just, uh, you know, words-based, but more directly kinesthetic, movement, body-based. And then I remembered him. I, I found him. I, then I started observing him. Then he opened a training program actually in San Francisco. I joined that one. And he and I became very close. He was much, much older. He was 50 years older than me. So I, you know, he needed somebody to help him in his travels. So I was asked to do it, and I did. And so we had hours upon hours of conversation. It's really a remarkably privileged position on my part. And um, he actually got me to begin working with kids. I had no intent to do it, but he, I tell about it in my book, you know, Kids Beyond Limits. And that started me working with children and then and the, working with the kids and then combined with working with adults and high-performing adults really got me more and more focused on the brain and what it takes to get the brain to do what it needs to do. So if I can't do something, it's simply because... I have not gone through the process of my own evolution to be able to do it. But I could go through that evolution. So it's like a process for moving from the inability to ability or from the impossible to the possible. And no one inspired me more and and showed me more that it's really the case than children with special needs. I mean, in the book I have a sample of stories, but it's like day in and day out. And now my inbox gets filled with, you know, forwarded messages from my the people I train from emails they get from parents describing the changes in their children. And, and again and again, those kids do things that people thought they wouldn't be able to do. Absolutely remarkable. And as we go to break, if listeners would like to check 
Annette Vanielle's website. It's AnnetteVanielleMethod.com, A-N-A-T-B-A-N-I-E-L-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. Thank you to our sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. We will be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Annette Danielle, author of the new book, Kids Beyond Limits, and I am just so glad that Dr. Martha Herbert introduced me to Annette Danielle, and I would highly advise listeners to pick up a copy of the book, Kids Beyond Limits, Annette is really shifting the paradigm. She's shifting our thoughts. She's transforming the way that we can relate to our children um, in order to empower, exhilarate our children and increase their competency and decrease their challenges. And, Annette, I just want to really thank you for that. Where can we get a copy of your book in addition to the book signing that you are having at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference on May 26th. Well, you can, people can get them on online Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and local bookstores. And if they don't carry them, you can always ask them to order. I love supporting local bookstores, so I encourage people to do that. But it's really easy to get it online. It's totally available. And you can order a copy of this book and read it on the plane and get it autographed by Annette at Autism One. This book is good for parents who have children who have had a, you know, a uh, birthing event, a birth brain injury, traumatic brain injury, hypoxia, autism, cerebral palsy. Annette, please, on that note, please tell listeners about the concept of neuroplasticity. Oh, I would love to. So... Well, neuroplasticity basically means that the brain can uh, change itself, but it's, it goes further than that. The brain is built to change itself. It's built to construct itself based on its experience. 
It's, by the way, built to do it throughout life. That's something that, you know, for the last uh, 10, 15 years, 20 years, has been shown gradually more and more through research because before that the assumption was that at a very young age, even as young as one or two years old, it's like we get the brain that we get it and then I guess the assumption was that somehow it was like little light switch that went on and different functions kicked in. It couldn't be further than the truth is that when the baby is born, they have no voluntary action and everything is formed, and that's where the good news is, and that's also where the trouble can lie, because if something goes wrong, and sometimes not hugely, but if it just shifts the brain off its spontaneous process of continued differentiation and growth, uh, it, can, it can look pretty bad, but the cause might be not that big, the outcome can look pretty bad. So brain plasticity is the ability and the necessity and the inclination of the brain to change itself. And that's where my work lives. Uh, that's all that I do every day and train people to do is to find a way to converse with the brain, obviously indirectly because we don't open the head directly. And even if we did, we wouldn't know what to do. Is there a marriage between Dr. Feldenkrais's approach and neuroplasticity? Absolutely. I mean, Dr. Feldenkrais understood that it's the brain and it can change itself. And that was the premise of his work. What happened for me is as I was working with the kids, I, I sort of kept asking the question, so what is it and what must be happening in that brain in order for this to occur? And I started identifying a, a, and, you know, evolving the understanding of what it is that's required for the brain. So I'll give you an example, which I think is very important and connects uh, to what we said in the, uh, talked about the first segment of this show. And that is that a, 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 the brain is not a mechanical system. So the body, we can think of it as a mechanical system. It has bones and muscles, and it, so it's like levers that are being moved around, right? So it's a mechanical system. But the brain is an information system. It works very, very differently. That's why when you look at my essentials, a lot of them are initially counterintuitive. I say go slower, go gentler, use less force, it, you'll get more outcome. Uh, because so so and we'll get into the essentials I understand it in a little bit but then I asked myself what's the information how how does the brain get informed gets new something to work with because if you want change we have to provide something new and I realized that the basis for all information is that the ability of the brain to perceive differences it's not until a child perceives a difference, be it in the, the, the movement and the tonus and the efforts, let's say, in the way they move their arm, or with children on the autism spectrum, for me, one of the ways that I understand the, the challenges, or if you want to call it disorder, I don't know what's, how people prefer to talk about it, but when I look at, see, when these kids come to my office, the very first thing I've noticed now for years is that they have real trouble clearly discerning differences. It's almost like they look at the world from as if they stand with their head immersed in some kind of soup, you know, in the lentil soup, trying to make sense of the world. And the moment I'm able to get them to start noticing any difference in themselves, it's almost like their brain starts working better and everything starts rolling forward better on all dimensions. 
so so that is where I've moved uh, the work to really, I started with the platform, of course, with Feldman Kreis, and then looked, okay, so if that's what we do, how do we create the conditions, the optimal conditions for that brain to perceive differences? Because we cannot correct another human being. We cannot make another person do what we think they should do. We really, we can't do it. But we can create an environment of experiences and the brain starting to do its job better. That means perceiving differences, differentiating, and then pulling it together, integrating into new skills. We can really potentiate that process. And we rely on the child to learn. We can't make them learn. We need to get them to become powerful learners. We depend on them. I depend on the kids I work to become powerful learners, but they depend on me to help them become that. And that's just another sign of your respect for the children. Uh, I highly encourage, uh, in addition to parents uh, obtaining a copy of Kids Beyond Limits and reading it, um, this would be a great resource to share for example, with your child's ABA provider, uh, Applied Behavior Analysis, just to see the, uh, the way that Annette is thinking about the children and regarding the children and the nine essentials that she is using to work with the children. Um, there's nothing robotic about this. Uh, and it's, it's nothing rote, and it really does use the child and the child's own brain to improve that child's situation. Is that a fair assessment, Annette? It's a perfect assessment. It's a perfect assessment, and you know, it's, it's, uh, when, when you look at a healthy child and you look at how a healthy child develops, one of the things that is uh, maybe, uh, most prominent in certain way is the enormous variability in the physical movement and in the different behaviors of the child. And what is invisible to people until they are told and see it, then it becomes very obvious that that enormous variability in movement and, and, and behaviors is generated by the nervous system and is essential for it in order to be able to develop. So let me be concrete here. So let's take, by the way, one thing I would like to take some time to talk, if that's interesting for you, is about movement, like physical movement and movement coordination and autism, because I think it's one of the invisible or kind of not paid attention to elements that I think is extremely central and can be a wonderful venue for improvement. On, on a cogn- also on a cognitive and behavioral level. But what happens is that, <clears throat> let's say if a child had a stroke and they have a paralysis in one arm, most of the tra- more traditional therapies, and I want to differentiate between the therapy and the therapist. The therapists are very dedicated and very wonderful, but a lot of the way they are trained to do or what they're trained to do is to try and make that hand or arm do what it can't do. So they try to pry the fingers open and they try to get the child to somehow hold something in the hands. This is the, the, almost the weakest way to try to communicate with that brain because if, if you look at the healthy infant that learns how to grab things, it never just learns to grab things. 
it it hits on its one direction and another direction, and initially it does it unintentionally. Then it feels the the sensation on the hand, and then when it hits, things fall down, so it gets its attention and all that stuff. And it's through thousands upon thousands and thousands of little variations that the gradually that brain you know carves out a predictable controlled movement. Okay, we're going to need to go to break, and we can talk about another of Annette's uh, essentials variation when we come back from break. And um, I just wanted to say one thing before we go to break, and just like Annette alluded to, there are many wonderful, dedicated, talented um, providers in the ABA world, and um, I didn't mean to take away from that. This is another way to... Um, add to the picture of healing our children, lots of children who have done ABA uh, and biomedical therapy, for example, have recovered from an autism spectrum diagnosis, and now we are adding in the piece that Annette Vanielle does that is so important, and we will be right back with Annette Vanielle, www.annettevaniellemethod.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for new reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health, and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Annette Vanielle, author of the new book, Kids Beyond Limits. And we were talking before the break about the importance of integrating uh movement therapy, but a very, uh, this new, this wonderful new approach in movement therapy, the Annette Vanielle method that Annette Vanielle has developed and has produced such remarkable results with children. So Annette, during the break, you were talking to me about a quantum hop, which is the paradigm shifting uh, information uh, that uh, you're sharing with us. It has to do with that. Please tell us about movement and brain development. What does lack of movement or function tell us about the health of the brain and why it's so important to incorporate this new movement therapy that has things like uh, letting the child perceive differences and variation and going slowly? Well, 
first of all, movement is at the heart of everything. You know, it's like Einstein said, until something moves, nothing happens. And my teacher, Feldenkrais, said, without movement, life is unthinkable. And in waking hours, it's estimated anywhere between 94 to 98% of the brain is busy more directly or more or one way or another with organizing our body and movement in space. So movement is really, in many ways, I say it's the language of the brain and it's the mirror to the brain. And when I'm, I'm talking about movement, I don't mean like specific exercise. I mean like in the widest sense possible. My speaking now is movement. Thinking is a form of movement. Emotion is movement. Now, what happens is my observation uh, with children on the autism spectrum, that there is a disorganization. They can very often stand and walk, but the way the brain is organized, the movement shows me that it had trouble in the process of differentiation as they learned to stand and or walk or use their hands or whatnot. And... Um, by the way, what it indicates to me is how brilliant they are, because if to walk in an in you know in the way they figured out how to move, despite the lacking information to the brain, for me signifies intelligence and brilliance, not the other way around. But and what I also discovered is that when I and of course movement and the sensory aspect, right, the motor sensory, they're they're integrated. They're really functionally one system. You can't separate one from the other functionally. And in the brain, they work intimately. A third of the motor cortex is sensory. So what happens is that when I look at the child on the autism spectrum, I can see that the actual process of differentiation has a problem for whatever causes. I don't know that. That's not my specialty. But then I jump in and I use movement. And I either, usually it's through touch, right? So I hold the child and move very gently to get the child to start feeling differences and sensing their body and, and allowing through movement for the brain to begin actually perceiving differences and differentiating. And it happens, Terry, I'm going to be showing in the conference a few uh, videos. And, and it's literally within minutes. I like quoting this statistic. The research estimates that when the brain is in a learning mode for a child, it creates 1.8 million new connections per second. That's about 100 million per minute. And a billion about every 10 minutes, that's a lot, even for the brain. So, so what happens, those kids shift sometimes in the most dramatic ways. So now I know that, like, for instance, in my friend and colleague, Dr. Martha Herbert, talks about how, you know, when there's fever, a child that can't talk all of a sudden talks, and then the fever goes down, they stop talking. I get the same kind of surprising quantum hops from sensory motor differentiation, the way we do it, in the lesson. The kid starts talking all of a sudden, saying two words, you know, sequences, within 15, 20 minutes. And then within a week, they are actually understanding language and talking, in a, and they're three years old and they couldn't do it before. So, so it's really the brain is available and we can access the brain to help it do its underlying processes, its own job better, and then the child improves on the motor level, which is terribly important to drive cognitive changes and to drive uh, emotional, social changes, behavioral changes. That's exactly it. You are 
Um, there's that expression, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And you are teaching the child's brain to fish. So exactly. when onlookers see a child with a diagnostic label of autism, who, for example, isn't potty trained, they may not understand that this child may not be able to sense that part of their body as we do. How does that relate to your work? How, how might the kids' brains perceive their bodies and sensation, especially in autism? Well, the thing is they don't. It's like a, like, it's like a blur. A, a, I, I, they, they feel themselves, but it's sort of a vague. It's, a, it's an undifferentiated. It's like if you ever travel, Terry, to, to a foreign land with a really foreign, different language, like Chinese or Hebrew, if you don't speak those languages. I remember coming to the United States as a child. My father was on sabbatical in Berkeley and listening to English for the first time in my life. I, I heard Hebrew, right? And I remember, I remember it clearly how in the beginning it was just like noise. It was noise. It's, it was indistinguishable. And then nobody taught me the language. I was just sort of plopped into and then put in school, and I learned it within about four weeks or six weeks. But And then I remember that I could di- discern one sentence from the other. I could tell, I guess by intonation, a sentence started, a sentence began. I had no idea. Then I could discern words, and then all of a sudden I started understanding what was said. It's the same thing in every level. We always have to go through this discernment. A child, from my point of view, on the autism spectrum, one of the ways to understand their challenges is that the process of discernment, of differentiation, of perceiving clear boundaries between things is a, is not working as well as it needs to. And Dr. Martha Herbert can explain it on her end, but she thinks actually happens biochemically. But I see it functionally i and i and i found out so when you so i about like toilet training i'm going to be showing a video i've just asked my colleague to cut that there was you know to get that uh, to us so i can show it a five-year-old child on the autism spectrum you know sits gets you know bangs his head to the wall when he gets upset and all that kind of stuff and he wasn't toilet trained now in my world he does. He would be toilet trained if he could feel what's going on down there, so to speak. So, of course, I did other work with him before. So I got the brain to potentiate it into a higher level of learning and functioning. But then with the mother's permission, I, I, they were in a hotel. I asked her to bring those little towels, and I, I, and I, I had a little bowl with warm water, and he was still in you know, diapers, so, and I told him what I was going to do. And I took a wet towel and I had him feel what it feels like on his hand because in his hand he could feel a lot better than in his buttocks. Good point. And then I had him feel a dry towel. And then I said to him, you're not going to look, but I'm going to ask you to tell me whether what is touching you is a dry towel or a wet towel. That was the last time he peed in his pants or pooped in his pants. The last time. Wow. Now, I'm, wow. I can't promise the same outcome for everybody, you know, I, but I can tell you, and I'm going to show this video. And I should, at this point, take the opportunity to let listeners know uh, when Anat is presenting at Autism One. And um, are you showing the video in your workshop or in your lecture with Dr. Herbert? Okay. With Dr. Herbert, I'll show a, a, a couple short videos. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in the workshop, I'll show 
longer videos, including the one with the towel. So videos will be shown in both presentations because I found out that what I talk about seems so unreal to people that I like to show at least a little bit of video so they can get experiential learning a bit. Okay. So the Autism One Conference is being held from May 23rd through 27th. Annette is presenting uh, in a lecture with Dr. Martha Herbert on Saturday, May 26th at 9 a.m., and then Annette has a, an extended workshop on Saturday afternoon beginning at 1.30, and that runs from 1.30 to 3.55, and we highly um, recommend that you are there for the 1.30 portion uh, because then she will be doing a movement workshop with parents. That will be fun and enlightening and transformational for you to take home to your child and for which you should also dress casually. And with that, we are going to go to break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please do visit Annette Banyel's website during the break, AnnetteBanyelMethod.com. We will be right back. Thank you to our sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberry. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Professionals and families who are dealing with autism face challenges that can lead to many questions. Questions about how to understand, communicate, and support each other. Every week, Autism Today with host Dr. Patrick J. Rydell will focus on dealing with the diagnosis and the day-to-day challenges of autism spectrum disorders. Dr. Rydell will combine his 30 years of experience along with featured guests from the ASD field to provide their insights and answers to your questions. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Okay. We are back with Annette Banyell of the Annette Banyell Method, which is should be uh, common sense, but is actually very, very innovative. Um, and that, Danielle, brings to our attention gentle, respectful, compassionate ways to help children with autism spectrum disorder, uh, cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury, hypoxia, birthing injuries, to help them move forward. And she uses movement in an innovative way to tap into the potential of the brain, neuroplasticity, and to grow the brain, increase the health of the brain, which then increases the child's uh, function. And Annette, again, just thank you so much for this. In your book, you talk about, which I just need to emphasize, the your compassionate approach, your respectful approach for the child, and your gentleness, which... Definitely 
comes through in your book. Um, you have nine essentials, yes. movement with attention, something called slow, about going slowly, variation, subtlety, enthusiasm, flexible goals, the learning switch, imagination and dreams, and awareness. These are Anat's nine essentials. And she provides examples and practical tips that uh, parents can learn, but it is just, it's a new way of looking at children and, and feeling for them and having that compassion and empowering children. So it's a transformational experience. And that let's talk about the importance of the child's attention to their movements. I, I cannot emphasize it more. So research shows, just some ingenious research on, on primates that shows how when movement is done automatically, either by the person themselves, or in this case it's the primate, but, or done to them automatically, passively, there is barely any change, no significant change in the mapping of the brain. And mapping of the brain, that means new connections, right, between the brain and the body. The moment the, the, the attention is brought to the movement, the changes happen in a staggeringly fast rate, very, very significant changes. And, and so when we pay attention to movement, let's say, uh, of the hand, when somebody wants to learn to play the piano, we know now that the, the real estate, so to speak, in the brain associated to not just to the fingers but to the different combinations of movements that, that finger, those fingers can do in association to the music just goes really, really rapidly. It's a, it sort of dominates more and more. And so when we want a child to get out of limitation, to become a more potent learner, to we have, we have to bring their attention to not so much what they do, even though that's part of it, but to what they feel in themselves as they do it. And that is also, because you know when people teach a child, try to teach them to move blocks a certain way or work with pictures or, or, or communication boards or things like that, of course we need to get the child to pay attention to the elements out there or they won't be able to do anything. But what I do is prior to doing that, I get the child to move and do things in a way where the attention is to how they themselves feel as they move, to notice themselves and to notice their sensations. That is the underlying information, the basis from which the brain can perceive differences, from which it gets the information, from which it then learns and develops. And the brain can get better and better at doing that. It can get more and more potent. So that's movement with attention is like essential to really potentiate the brain. The first essential. And then how yes. does moving slowly help? Well, slow, by the way, all the essentials, each and every one of the essentials is a way to help uh, uh, the brain perceive differences and receive inf new information. So all nine essentials are geared for the same outcome, same purpose. And slow, first of all, it gets the brain's attention. Fast, we can only do what we already know. We cannot do anything really new fast to begin with. So when we go slow, it gets the brain's attention, which we already know 
that we want, right? And attention is like this amazing thing. And then it gives time to feel and to notice because when something is new, it's a blur. It's undistinguished yet, so we can't catch it. And when we slow down, we accelerate learning. I know it's counterintuitive for more, most people. Most people, like in regular schools, I remember when my daughter was in second grade, they test them on solving mathematical problems fast. And I remember going to the teacher in school and saying, do you think Einstein looked, had a, you know, a timer when he developed the relativity theory? You know, it's like when you do something new, you actually want to go into almost a meditative state and slow down and miracles happen in the space of slow. I've had kids that couldn't figure out reading. I'm thinking of one kid with fragile X and I, he had this thing on the computer where the mother was trying to teach him and I just showed the mother how to slow it way, way, way down. And then he could all of a sudden start doing it. And, of course, Dr. Michael Merzenich has the whole program called, you know, Fast Forward, and that's the whole premise. And they found that when kids on the autism spectrum use this program, their their symptoms diminish way beyond just learning to read. So these aren't airy-fairy concepts. These concepts you have about attention to movement and moving slowly and variation uh, and subtlety, you've seen these create remarkable changes with children on the spot. Absolutely. It's almost instantaneous. And I want to, to do a disclaimer. So if a child, you know, had a stroke and they can't use their arm and leg, if I get them at one week old, the changes can be, like, really staggering. But if I get them at eight months old or a year and a half old, still staggering changes, but it will be a process of anywhere between a few months to a few years to get them fully functioning. But we oftentimes do get them fully functioning where otherwise they won't. But you see changes, meaningful changes, every throughout each session, and then they keep popping, you know, after the session, and then they come back to another session. Yes, instantaneous changes. This is really... You know, Dr. Michael Merzenich, that now is a friend, and we're going to do research together. But he 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 took interest in my work and what I do because he realized that I my nine essentials actually are in harmony or or validated by brain plasticity research over the last twenty years. I was doing it for a long time, starting, of course, from the platform of Feldenkrais. I knew it so. I, uh, but I didn't do the research. So when the research started showing online, I was just beyond thrilled about 15, 20 years ago. This was just the first research that started coming out. It was just so exciting. And, and yes, it's, it's, it, but it's counterintuitive. You slow down, you reduce the force. The, all those things that potentiate the brain, which is an information system. It's not a mechanical system. Hitting on it harder doesn't give the same outcome like hitting a nail into the wall. Yikes. Okay, and what's the difference between stimulation and organization? Well, the difference that I, I, I make I, I, is the difference between stimulation and information. Stimulation uh, is the stimulation. is that you rub the skin or you put light into the eye. Stimulation does not provide informational value to the system unless there is 
the child, the stimulation is presented in a way so that the child starts perceiving differences within that stimulation and within themselves in as a reaction to the stimulation. So I have seen like kids that couldn't talk and they brush their tongue trying to stimulate the tongue. These kids have too much stimulation. Children on the autism spectrum, they don't need more stimulation. They need a, a information. That means they need to perceive differences. And the moment they do that, then the brain can start putting new organization, new order within itself. The brain is a self-organizing system and command more organization in their movement, in their speech, in their thinking, in their walking, in, in their interaction with other people because they're able to make sense, more sense of themselves in the world. Stimulation alone can actually aggravate and make them worse. Well, this makes sense to me. And Annette, I want to thank you for your respect uh, for and patience with each child for your compassion uh, to our listeners and that it has agreed to come back uh, sometime in June and interview with us again about the nine essentials, but I wouldn't wait till then. I would pick up a copy of Kids Beyond Limits and uh, see Annette uh, at Autism One. Uh, Annette, you're having a wonderful workshop at Autism One on Saturday, May 26th from 1.30 to 4 p.m., and this is after your lecture in the morning with Dr. Martha Herbert. Yeah. And I would just like to say that the works, even in the very short presentation, I'm going to do a two-minute movement lesson with the audience so they can feel how they change so rapidly, how their brain can change. And in the longer workshop, I'm certainly going to take the parents through experiential so, so they learn and feel what they can do with their child, but also to make them feel better because the parents work so hard and they are so stressed and these are tools to improve the health and the well-being of the parents, too. Well, certainly having just enthusiasm and joy with our children, that will definitely make so many people happy. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I'm all for it, distressing <laughs> everybody. Yeah. And registration for this and, in fact, the entire five-day conference is only $25. Please sign up uh, at... Uh, www.autism1.org. We had cited a, a uh, pre-registration online cutoff of May 14th, but we think that our techies are going to be able to extend that. Uh, so please do visit www.autism1.org to avoid lines at on-site registration. Space will still be available. We make space for everybody. My guest next week is Jennifer Hutchinson, author of Unlocking Jake, and thank you to this program's sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to The Voice Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. 